morning, everyone. Welcome to First Up. I'm Matthew Kaz in for Aaron Karolnik. Joining us now, one of our favorite guests from the Toronto Star. It is Dave Feschuk. Good morning, Dave. How you doing? Gentlemen, you know, I've been weighing this this vociferous debate you guys have been having about fish and cheese. This yes. bitch, it's absolutely consumed my morning. Yeah. So thank you very much. You've, you've totally put me off track of doing any actual work while I ponder this massive question. It's made you hungry, though, hasn't it? Oh, has it ever, Carlo? But I got to say, Kaz, I know you are, Kaz, I know you're the go-to you know, authority on all things culinary and wine-related. You've been to the best restaurants in the world. You've had the, the greatest offerings that humankind uh, can give a man on a plate and Hell in a yeah. glass. But, but Carlo's right on this. Carlo is dead right Thank on this. You. And I Thank will present you, you with one piece of evidence. One piece of evidence. The most popular fish offering on this planet, the most popular fish sandwich on this planet, the Filet-O-Fish of the Great Golden Arches establishment comes with a nice slice of processed American cheese, Mr. Cause. Case closed. Thank you, Dave Feschuk, for making my argument for me. Next time you're at a nice restaurant and you order the Brazzini, you order a black cod, you order some, a sea bass, and they say, would you like us to dump some shredded cheese on it? You will, of course, say no. But if it's fish tacos <laughs> It's not or shredded mac, cheese, Matt. You're, you're basically putting like a nice parmesan over top of it no it's still gross that's still gross it doesn't matter how nice no the people the people have spoken because what i'm trying to say is the people have spoken fish and cheese are a perfect match no you were the you you the go no further than your local drive-thru Everyone out there, if you're going to buy a newspaper, how about the Globe and Mail? Maybe the National Post <laughs> or try the Toronto Sun. Uh, Dave, oh, there's... I know, I'm a complete jerk, but I'm still the one who buys newspapers all the time. Uh, Dave, today is Morgan Riley's birthday. He's 29 years old. You've got to give a gift to Morgan Riley. What is your birthday gift for the Leafs' number one defenseman? Well, is it is it possible to box up some confidence and send it via FedEx? Because <laughs> I think this dude needs some confidence, man. He he's he seems to be at a crossroads in his career, almost in between. It's like an identity crisis. It's because and I know what I know what it stems from. We all know what it stems from. It stems from the fact that when he was out for 15 games this year, the Leafs turned into the best defensive team in the league, and because they played a way that Morgan Riley does not play. They did not take risks. They did not prioritize offense. They did not jump into rushes and make bad pinches and do all those things that we've come to, you know, not particularly love about Morgan Riley's game. And then when he comes back, he's trying to figure out, how should I play? These guys are really good without me. You know, should I be more defensive? But if I'm more defensive, I'm not Morgan Riley. But if I'm too offensive, I'm making mistakes that lead to pucks in our net, which takes away from our goal this season to be one of the best defensive teams in the league and be a more playoff worthy team when it comes to style of play so he i don't know man he's at a career crossroads and i don't know if there's any you know easy recipe and certainly not a birthday gift but i think confidence is at the root of the problem we had a question posed to us this morning in one of our segments that come playoff time um who would you rather have the best of the best of morgan riley or the best of ryan o'reilly yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. I mean, I, I, I just, 
as much as I think Ryan O'Reilly is going to be important for a lot of different reasons, and obviously the fact that he's been a Conn Smythe winner in, 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 in recent times and can relay those experiences to people in that room and drag people along when they need to be dragged, I think it's Morgan Riley because I just don't know of maybe outside of that one Pittsburgh team that won a cup with, with Chris Letang sidelined and they did it by committee on the back end, that's an outlier. That is not the trend in Stanley Cup winners or contenders for that matter. I think you need a number one defenseman playing like a number one defenseman. And I'm just not sure they can overcome anything but that. Joined by Dave Festchuk from the Toronto Star. Yeah, by the way, that is a great point. I, I was arguing Ryan O'Reilly because none of the Maple Leafs forwards score in elimination games in the playoffs. But you are right. When you well, look at there the is blue- that. Yeah, but when you look at the blueprint of every most Stanley Cup winners, Hedman, Makar, you can go up and down. You'll see that uh, Duncan Keith, that number one, uh, that number one defenseman, uh, staying with hockey. To me, the most fascinating game of the night. In fact, this might be the game of the year where you've got a Bruins team that looks like peak Red Wings from the mid to late 90s going up against Connor McDavid, who's peak Sidney Crosby in terms of his play right now. And for you, more impressive, the individual season of Connor McDavid or the team season of the Boston Bruins? It's McDavid in a landslide. As, oh, as get impressive as the Bruins are. Like this. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. I will now get give out of here. Now give your answer. I'm, I'm with like you, that. Dave. I'm with you, Dave. Look, I mean, we've seen, like, we've seen a lot of these team success. Like, when you start talking about greatest season in the history of the NHL regular season, you're comparing apples to oranges, right? Because in, in the three-point game era where you can get this loser point, that skewed all historical totals, right? Because there was a time when there was no such thing as a loser point. And so all those great teams of all those other eras d- don't really stack up to this era in terms of the points they can compile. Um, and I also think, look, it's a, it's a league of haves and have-nots, right, where there's a lot of bad teams and you can pile up some wins. But when you look at McDavid, guys, like, nobody's done this. In terms of lapping the field, like, I'm looking at it right now. He's He's got... He's got a 100 and, uh, 124 points. That's a 28-point lead on the next best guy, who happens to be a guy uh, whose totals he contributes to in Leon Dreisaitl, who's got 96 points. That's, like, I'm starting to do the math. That's a 29% difference in their points, right? You have to go back to uh, one man. Only one man has put together that kind of a spread on the competition uh, in recent, like, you know, go, I'm not looking into the 1920s here. I'm looking, like, post-expansion. And that's Wayne Gretzky. Now, Gretzky once had a 69-point spread on the next best guy. He had 183, and nice. Yari Curry had 108. Um, but, you know, Gretzky, like, the, nobody's done 29%. Nobody's put a 29% gap on the competition. Crosby's best was a 20% gap. Patrick Kane had a 19% gap. Like, what he's doing here in terms of just being so much better than everybody else and absolutely being, you know, so bent on nightly consistency, that's the thing I love. That's the thing you don't see in sports anymore, guys. Like, who who brings that nightly consistency in the era of load management and on this Maple Leafs team as good as the guys have been, they don't bring it every night. They're, they take nights off, and, and McDavid just never seems to take nights off, and that's why he is doing what he's doing in such a historic way. I got to tell you, that is a fantastic answer, and if anyone wants to subscribe to it, I can see why. A coherent argument made by Dave Festchuk. My only pushback, look at the gap between Boston and Carolina. 
And also with the Boston Bruins, they're putting up these points and these wins in the Atlantic against the toughest division in hockey. It's not like they're putting up 100-plus points in the Pacific. So that would be my pushback to you, Dave Fish. Yeah. Oh, look, they're both like, look, you're asking you're you're asking me to pick between two incredibly impressive things, right? No I know. It's, I'm not, it's what we I'm do not diminishing what the Bruins are doing. Yeah, no, it, but I mean, this is a rare season in that you've got you've got a guy doing something that hasn't been done since the 80s, really, in terms yeah. of putting a gap between himself and the next best player, the next most productive player, for sure. Um, that hasn't been done since Wayne Gretzky, you know, w- was near his prime and or maybe at his prime. And, and then you've got you've got this Bruins team doing an historic thing, too. It's it's a special year. It's been a fun year. You know, it's it's great to see scoring up. It's 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 way better for the sport. We languished through all those years, guys, in the mid you know 2010s where the goaltending was at its peak and it was harder to score. And it, I, I cannot be convinced that this league does not benefit greatly when it's a little easier to put the puck in the net and the point totals get a little higher and you see a little more fireworks out there on a nightly basis. It's not, it's not the 80s, uh, which a lot of us grew up on, or at least old guys grew up on, but it's, it's getting close and I think it's, I think it's good for the game. I love how you said fireworks because this is the perfect transition to what happened post-game with the Raptors yesterday. It was the fireworks that Fred Van Vliet set off with how openly honest he was about a certain referee um, that clearly has it in for him. Well, what did you make about his comments, and do you think they were warranted? Look, refereeing in the NBA is very inconsistent. We all know that. There, there. You talk about a, a transition period and being in between and not having confidence in Morgan Riley. NBA refereeing right now is is a lot like that. Like a lot of the old guys have retired. There's a lot of very young officials who who aren't particularly good, right, at their jobs. And and so he's not wrong. Like there's 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 all kinds of calls out there that don't make sense. And and certainly coming off the night in Denver where Scott Foster took it upon himself to essentially decide the game by teeing up. Scotty Barnes at that moment with 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 uh, less than a minute left in the game and and the and the game still in the balance that obviously contributed to the frustration level on the Raptor bench but to me this is this is a lot of Fred Van Vliet projecting his season long frustration on the referees and you know in, in this game because they didn't lose this game because of the referees and Fred Van Vliet admitted they didn't lose the game because of the referees. He said he essentially said after all the bluster and all the vitriol that's going to get him fined by taking down uh, the, the officiating in that game, uh, and, and you know obviously specifically Ben Taylor, um, this was not about the refs. They got killed by uh, Kawhi Leonard in his prime. Like Kawhi Leonard's never looked this good, guys, since he since he played for the Raptors in 2019. And maybe it maybe it helps that he took an entire year off and barely played this season. But he looks <laughs> awfully good right now in his 40 minutes last night. And so, yeah, this is Fred Van Vliet just expressing the frustration that I think the entire Raptors organization feels. They thought they were better than this. They thought they they didn't think they'd be six games out of sixth place at this point in the season. They didn't think they'd be barely holding on to 10th place, a half game up on 10th place at this point in the season. They thought they were much better. They thought they were going to take a step over last year when they won 48 games, and it's just not happening for them. And I think what you saw from Fred Van Vliet there was a lot of that bottled-up frustration coming out in kind of misdirected at the officiating. 
I agree with most of that. I, I said the only thing is, is uh, Fred is at eight technicals. Five have been called by one very specific official, so that makes you do wonder a little bit of the specter of his, any of this personal. But yes, a lot of this was just Fred well, being uh, Fred being upset. But um, well, the, they, you know, people always say, oh, yeah. you know, the one thing about that. Sorry, guys. No, I, I always say people like having known referees. You know, we we cross paths with the referees in our business quite a lot. People say, why does it get personal? Because guess what? Both people are human beings, and human beings have personal interactions, and sometimes two people clash. But that's just that's the game, man, and everybody's got to know it, and Fred's got to be better than that, in, in my opinion. Good answer. Way to end this. Dave, enjoy your daily breakfast of seven filet fish with heaping <laughs> amounts of cheese on it. We look forward to chatting with you soon. And again, everyone, go grab a copy, a physical copy of the Toronto Star. Thank you, Dave. Or as we like to call it, fish wrap. Yes. That's true. That's true. After you don't read the paper, you wrap it up with your fish and chips when you're in London, and it's the (laughs) 1970s. Good, timely reference. Thanks so much, Dave. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great day. See ya. We got to take a break. Coming up on the other side, it is my FanDuel Best Bets. You're listening to First Up right here on TSN 1050.